We believe that all people are beloved image bearers of God, imbued with dignity. We believe that the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. We believe in the reality of redemption. Still, we cannot deny that the human story is one filled with oppression and injustice. But although we can't deny it, we can defy it. We can use our eyes to truly see the injustice around and within us. We can let our hearts fill with the compassion of Christ for those who are suffering. And we can put our hands to work to right these wrongs and break these cycles wherever we find them. We can participate in the coming Shalom. We can choose justice. Good to see your faces this morning and good to worship with all of you. My heart is just all filled up already. So, so excited to have our kiddos in here with us today. If you guys did not grab a paper from the check-in desk, you can grab a paper so that you can follow along, kids style, with the message. So we are continuing our justice series today, and it has really been a beautiful series for our community, you guys. Um, it's been a really important series. I know I always say that. I know they always feel very important, but this one just really does, and it feels really timely. And we began our year with a discussion about progress, right, and how, how we can look at that change in us that begins to happen when Jesus comes more and more alive in us. And so then we've moved to this conversation about justice, because the truth is, as Jesus does come more and more alive in us, this conversation begins to matter more and more to us, right? It matters what's going on in our world and how we can engage it with the love of Jesus, right? Because when we start to see the world as God sees it, then we long to participate in the restoring of peace and wholeness, right? So speaking of peace and wholeness, does anyone remember what the biblical word for peace and wholeness is that we've been talking about? Anybody remember? Adults, you can join in. Shalom, that's right. Kids, that's number one on your papers. Shalom, peace and wholeness, the, the mending of all that is broken. So when we're talking about justice, what we're really talking about is the restoration of shalom in the world, right? That is what the one true narrative of redemption is all about. And in, in the beginning of this series, Benjamin kicked us off with a really important conversation about the difference between retributive justice, which is like punishment, right? Punishment for breaking of shalom, retributive justice, and restorative justice, which is the working to restore and redeem and bring back to a place of wholeness, right? And so that's what we're talking about in this series is the restorative sort of justice that brings wholeness, right? So then we first learned, after that week, we learned about seeing injustice with our eyes, right? About first, before we can really do anything about the injustice in our world, we need to see it. We need to notice it, and we need to not just see it with our own eyes, but we need to see it as God sees it, as Jesus sees it. And the only way we can do that is by him coming more and more alive in us. And then last week, Brett taught us about engaging in justice with our heart, with our heart. Because again, before we can do much about it, we have to really be aware of how it's affecting us, 
how it's affecting us. And what did Brett teach us is the usual human response to injustice. How does it usually affect us? Anybody? What's our usual emotion in response to injustice? Anger. That's right. Anger. Anger. We get angry. We either get angry that it's a thing that we have to deal with or we get angry because it's ugly, right? And so Brett taught us, like, okay, we get angry because, like, if, if somebody bullies your friend at school, kids, I bet that you would feel angry about that, right? Or if somebody told a lie about you, you would probably feel angry about that, right? But Brett taught us about holding that space between anger and actually sinning in our anger, actually becoming a part of the injustice. And what does that hold that space? Empathy. Empathy. And what that is, really, is feeling as God feels, right? So when we engage in justice with our hearts, yes, we have our human response to it, but before we can really engage it the way God wants us to, we have to also have Jesus' response to it, which is empathy, which is compassion, right? So how do we work for shalom? How do we do it? That's what we're going to talk about today, right? So number one, we learned see as Jesus sees. Number two, we learned feel as Jesus feels. And number three, today, is to love as Jesus loves. And that brings us to our hands. What can we do? What can we do about the injustice that's going on in our personal lives, in our world, in our community? There's a lot of injustice that we see and feel. So what do we do with our hands? And we're using the word hands, but it could be a lot of other things, right? We're not specifically only using our hands by this. We're talking about using our voice, using our writing, using our presence to show up at a thing using our lack of presence to not show up at a thing, right? It might be a sacrifice that we make of our time or our money or our effort. Those are all ways to engage in justice with our hands. But I love that we're using the word hands because you, hands, it's a very personal thing for me. So if you know me really well, you already know this, but probably most of you don't know. I don't think I've told you before. I have this thing where my hands hurt. And people who know me really well know that if I say my hands are hurting, I'm, I'm really upset. I'm really upset. I'm really hurting. I'm really not okay. And my hands will hurt usually when I feel like I can't, I can't do something about someone that I love. Like someone that I love is hurting, and I can't help them. I can't show love to them, or I can't fix it. And my, instead of like it hurting in my heart, my literal, my hands ache. And I'll also feel it like if I feel a loss coming on, like if I feel like I'm going to lose someone important to me, I don't feel it in my heart, I feel it in my hands. And um, usually when that happens to me, it's a reminder to love with open hands <laughs> because I think my hands, it's like a clinging thing that maybe happens to me. I don't really know why I'm wired that way to feel the pain in my hands, but I am. And so when we started talking about engaging justice with our hands, to me it was like, the most powerful way of expressing it. Because to me, when I most want to act, when I most want to engage someone with love, is when my hands hurt, It's when my hands ache. So that's just me, but maybe you can relate to that feeling. Maybe you feel it in your heart or your chest or your whole body. When you feel like you have a broken heart, I can say the times in my life that I've had a broken heart, my hands have ached with it, right? So as I've been thinking about this series and praying about this series and, and talking about how justice 
starts with our eyes and moves to our heart and then to our hands. I've been praying for God to show me the places that make his hands hurt, right? Show me the places that break his heart and make my hands hurt for those things. Like, isn't that the cry of our hearts to understand the places that break God's heart enough that we feel it in our bodies, enough that we're compelled to act? Because what happens is when we feel it from that place, that action, it isn't about our... um, it isn't about obligation, right? Like, we're not just coming out in justice saying, well, this is my duty as a Christian. I shall engage this mission because that is what I am supposed to do. I will speak to the injustice. It's not an obligation because when we feel it that deeply, we're engaging it out of love, out of love, not out of obligation, right? So that's my prayer today, that God will awaken that sort of love in us that will make, make us physically ache with the desire to act, with the desire to act in whatever that action is, speaking, writing, showing up, not showing up, time, energy, effort, wisdom, love, whatever it looks like, my prayer is that we'll ache with it, enough that our hands or our hearts will hurt with the compassion that we feel. So in order to really look at this, we're going to go back to the story that we've been studying in this series, the story of Nehemiah. And there is something very, very beautiful about this story. We're going to look into it today. I know we've heard it a couple times, but the kiddos haven't been in here yet, so we're going, to, we're going to look at it again. But Nehemiah doesn't just notice the injustice going on with his eyes, and he doesn't just feel it with his heart. He acts. He acts against the injustice that he sees. So we're going to look at it. Do you guys remember what was happening? Do you guys remember what Nehemiah was building? Does anyone know what Nehemiah was building? A wall. That's right. Nehemiah was tasked to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It was a giant task. It was going to take years. It was going to take tons of people. And Nehemiah was the governor, and he was overseeing the entire rebuilding project, okay? He was leading them. And he began to get reports that there was not enough food for the people who were working. They were starving. There wasn't enough food for them. They were working hard all day, but because of the tax load that was placed on these people at this time, They didn't have enough to eat. So they had begun mortgaging their lands, their homes, to try and get enough food to feed their families. And when that wasn't enough, they began selling their children. They began selling their children back into slavery from which they had just been freed. Okay, that's pretty horrible, right? That's pretty giant injustice that's going on. They're working all day every day and they don't even have enough food to feed their families, right? The financial system in place at the time doesn't afford them enough food to eat. So first, Nehemiah sees it. He hears these reports that this is going on, and he goes to investigate. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? And when he sees it, he gets angry. We're going to read it here. In Nehemiah 5, it says, When I heard their outcry at these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Now let's stop here for a minute, okay? Because today, remember, we're talking about how do we go from feeling this injustice in our hearts to actually engaging it? So let's stop and really look at what he does here. He sees the injustice and he gets angry, but then what's the very next thing that he does? He ponders. He ponders. He pauses. He prays before he speaks, before he engages. And then he calls a meeting together. 
He doesn't just fly off the handle at his leaders, at his nobles and officials, right? He doesn't execute them or displace them or fire them or whatever. He calls them together to talk about what's going on. So he's angry, but he stops to ponder, to pause, to pray, right? But he knows this injustice must be corrected. Shalom must be restored here, right? So he calls a meeting together, and he's very angry, and he does not mince words. He calls for action. Not vengeance, but action, right? So here's what he says. We're going to read this. Nehemiah 5, verse 8. And said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Basically, these people are being bought and sold back and forth. This is an atrocity, right? So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending to the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Now there's a lot to unpack just in that little bit of the story. We're going to get to a few pieces of it today. But Nehemiah engaged this injustice with wisdom, with action, and with grace. He did not shame the leaders, but he did speak decisively that this was going to change. And did you notice something else in this passage? It took me a couple of times reading it to really catch what was going on here, and Benjamin helped point it out to me. It says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. I think what this means is that Nehemiah was also participating in this. He was also lending the people money and charging interest because he probably didn't see what it was really doing to them. He didn't know that this injustice was going on. So when he comes to his leaders, he comes in a state of deep integrity to say, I've been doing this too, and I'm going to stop charging interest. That's what he says. That's how he starts, with integrity, right? I think a lot of times, the first thing we can do with our hands about injustice is our own participation in it, changing our own participation in whatever injustice is going on, right? So there's a lot more to unpack in that passage. I'll note that these people don't seem upset with him, do they? They like immediately say, yes, let's do that. And after he says, God's going to shake you out of his robes if you don't, they praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And I think the reason they're doing that is because their eyes are also open to the injustice and they want to participate in shalom because they're following this leader that has integrity. Okay? Now, that's not all Nehemiah did about this. You might know the rest of the story. We're going to get there in a little bit. But hold that part for a minute because we're going to unpack a couple things. We're going to look, take a look at Jesus for a minute before we come back to this story, right? And we're going to look at the biggest way that Nehemiah engaged this injustice with his hands. 
But before we look at some words of Jesus, we're going to get real practical here for a second. Because this is a message about hands. So everyone here gets to engage their hands today. I'm so excited. Chris, can you help me? We have some papers and pens, you guys. You guys are going to fill out a little. Yes, I know you're so excited. Uh, You're going to engage some questions together with our actual hands because sometimes writing stuff down, like, puts it in a different place in your brain. It puts it in a different place in your heart. So I'm going to ask everybody to participate with this paper today. There should be enough for the kids. So kids, you guys get double papers today, which is very exciting for you, I'm sure. All right. So I'm going to read these five questions for the people in podcast land while you guys all get your papers. Here are the five questions that we're going to answer today. And might I say, you don't have to answer these questions right now. You can sit with these papers for a few minutes. And as we're finishing the message, if something comes to you, then write it down. So here's your five questions. And if you're in podcast land, I would love for you to get a paper or email and write these things down too. All right, number one. What injustice do I see right in front of me? What injustice do I see right in front of me? Number two, how do I feel about this injustice? Let's stop at not just seeing it, but let's stop at how we feel about it because that's a pretty important piece. How do I feel about it? Number three, what can I pray for about this injustice? Number four, what can I do about this injustice? And then number five, getting a little bigger picture here. Number five is, how could elements come together as a community to restore shalom in a place of injustice? So these are the questions that I'm going to ask you guys to engage today. As I'm talking, as I'm thinking, feel free to write right now if you've got something to say. If you need to think about it a little while, please ponder. That's a great idea. Now I'm going to share some stuff that's going to help you guys understand the significance of these particular questions. So let's do that. Okay, stay with me. One point to note. Remember the kind of injustice that I'm talking about on this paper and that we're really talking about today is an injustice that's right in front of us. What injustice do I see right in front of me? That's the question, right? Something that makes our hands hurt. Something that makes your heart hurt. You know what I mean by that, right? Something that makes your heart and your mind and your body long to do something to restore shalom. What do we see? Now, here's what I don't mean by that. I do not mean the latest Facebook rant, right? I do not mean the latest political stance. I do not mean the latest thing that the church at large wants us to engage. I don't even mean the latest thing that Element wants you to engage, I don't mean the things that matter to your spouse or your parents or your kids or your boss or your pastor. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the things that matter to you, the things that you see in front of you, an injustice that makes you long with your heart and your mind and your body to do something to restore peace and wholeness. That's what we're looking for today. And if it doesn't come to your mind immediately, it's okay. It is okay. Because that comes to your mind as Jesus works in you. So take it and pray with it as long as you need to, okay? Maybe it's that little boy on the school playground that gets bullied all the time. Maybe it's an unjust culture in your work environment. Maybe it's the foster care system that we engage with all the time that truly is a weight on your heart because of all the brokenness. 
Maybe it's the homeless guy that you pass on the way home from work every day. Whatever it is, write it down. Think about it. And then we're going to think about how we feel. Think about how we feel about that injustice. Is it anger? Probably. There's probably some anger. If it's enough to make you write it down, you probably have a little bit of anger about it, right? Is it hopelessness? I think sometimes we can feel a little bit hopeless about the injustice that we see. Is it shame? Is it shame? Sometimes if the injustice is in us, if we're participating in it, we can feel a little bit of shame, right? So put that in there. Be honest. But then let's look a little bit deeper, right? Because Christ in you doesn't see it with hopelessness or shame. So how does Jesus in you see it? Is it empathy? Is it hope? Is it compassion? Now, what to do about it? What to do about it, right? I put a pause for prayer in there because that's what Nehemiah did. He paused to ponder before he acted, right? So we have to do that. We have to pray because before we act, we have to keep in mind what the goal is. And the goal in this situation is to look like Jesus. The goal is to look like Jesus. The goal is to be the hands and feet of the Redeemer, of the Restorer, right? The goal is restorative justice, acting in such a way to bring that place of injustice toward wholeness, towards wholeness, right? So let's think about Jesus for a moment. The life of Jesus is completely filled with instances where he fought for justice, right? And not just the justice of the political or religious views of the time. He was fighting for a whole new type of justice, right? He was fighting for restorative justice. The justice of all humans being equal and valuable and loved, beloved sons and daughters of God, right? The justice that allowed women to learn from him right alongside the men, right? The justice that gave the same value to the harlots and the thieves and the tax collectors as it did to the fishermen and the priests and the soldiers. It was the same value on all of these people, right? It was justice that forgave people for their sins and justice that championed mercy and peace and freedom. Championed freedom, right? And Jesus believed in this justice so deeply that he died for it. And his final act was to offer the whole world a way to participate in the restorative justice of God, right? He lived for it, and he died for it. That is what he did here. So what about us then? His hands and feet right here today. What can we do? So Richard Rohr, one of my favorite authors, runs a center for action and contemplation. And this is their statement. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Now, first of all, do you not love the name of that center? I love it. It makes me so happy. The Center for Action and Contemplation. This is just like such a beautiful melding of all of the things that are important, right? I have leaned pretty hard into this contemplative spirituality, um, into solitude and stillness and silence as a really, really important way to connect with God, right? And I believe that that is so, so true. I don't believe it's for some people. I believe it's for all people. I believe it's so important. But when you practice that sort of spirituality, 
the action piece of it becomes equally as important, right? I do not lean so hard into my quiet stillness and solitude that I don't also feel compelled to act for shalom in the world, right? And neither do you. Neither do you. You guys act all the time. And I believe, guys, and we've used these words before, but I believe that we are called to be a generation of contemplative revolutionaries. Contemplative revolutionaries. Think about that. A people who slow down enough to see as God sees and to feel as God feels and to love as God loves. Contemplative revolutionaries. I think it has a ring to it, but for me it's more than a ring. It's like the cry of my heart. It's the cry of my heart. Because I don't know really, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a revolutionary, right? But when we add in this piece of deep communion with Jesus to a place where the action comes from hurting hands and hurting hearts, not obligation, then yes, I want to be that. I want to be a contemplative revolutionary. Now, Henry Nouwen writes about contemplative revolutionaries in his book, The Wounded Healer. So listen to these beautiful words and be inspired along with me. He says, Jesus' appearance in our midst has made it undeniably clear that changing the human heart and changing human society are not separate tasks, but are as interconnected as the two beams of the cross. Jesus was a revolutionary who did not become an extremist since he did not offer an ideology but himself. He was also a mystic who did not use his intimate relationship with God to avoid the social evils of his time, but shocked his milieu to the point of being executed as a rebel. Now listen to this, guys. Don't miss this part. He writes, I suppose you will hesitate to consider yourself a mystic or a revolutionary. But when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will recognize him in your midst. He is sometimes undeniably evident to the point of irritation and sometimes only partially visible. You will find him in the eyes of the gorilla, the young radical, or the boy with the picket sign. You will notice him in the quiet dreamer playing his guitar in the corner of a coffee house, in the soft voice of a friendly monk, in the melancholic smile of a student concentrating on his reading. You will see him in the mother who allows her son to go his own different way. In the father who reads to his child from a strange book. In the loud laughter of a young girl. You will find him in your own town, in your own family, in your own heart. Because he is in every man who draws his strength from the vision that dawns on the skyline of his life and leads him to a new world. It is this new world that fills our dreams, guides our action, and makes us go on at great risk with the increasing conviction that one day man will finally be free. Church, do we feel that increasing conviction that one day man will finally be free? And if we do, then what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Where are we seeing this contemplative revolutionary of Jesus coming alive in us? 
to the place where it fills our dreams and it guides our action and it makes us go on at great risk because we believe in the truth that one day man will finally be free. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about the children in our city who don't have homes? What are we doing about buying products made in sweatshops by forced child slavery? What are we doing about the deteriorating state of God's creation? What are we doing about the human trafficking industry that thrives right in our city? What are we doing about the least and the last and the lost? Who are we introducing to Jesus? Now, I don't ask these questions to shame us. The truth is many of us are doing many things in many of these areas, right? We are acting and we are praying and we are becoming contemplative revolutionaries. But I believe, we believe, that it is time for some progress here. Progress about this, in this community. It's time for this growing conviction that one day men will finally be free to compel us toward more action. Now here's what I want everybody to get today. All that was beautiful. We're going to come down to the main point of it now. If you don't catch anything else I say, catch this one. Another roar quote. We aid and influence other people simply by being who we are. Human integrity probably influences and moves people from potency to action more than anything else. Whoa. Like, whoa. Stop and think about that for just a minute, right? Is that true? Is that true? I think it is true. I think it is. Integrity, being who we are, is what motivates people to action. So if that's true, then who are we, right? How do we live with such integrity that it influences each other and our surrounding community into action? How do we live with that kind of integrity, right? Well, who are we? The beloved sons and daughters of God, right? chosen and blessed and broken and given. We are Christians. We are little Christs. And the spirit of the living God dwells in us. And we are here, just as Jesus was here, to proclaim the good news, right? To bring freedom to the captives and to bind up the brokenhearted and to comfort those who mourn and to bring justice to the oppressed, to participate in the work of shalom. That's why Jesus was here and that is why we are here, right? So let's look back to Nehemiah with that context. You know, he did all the right things. He saw the injustice with his eyes. He felt it. He pondered. And then he acted, right? And the way he treated his leaders was honorable and fair. And they followed him immediately without arguing. It says they couldn't find any words to say, right? Do you know What kind of a person people usually follow in that way? A person of integrity. A person of integrity, right? And do you know what else Nehemiah did about this? He did not just work to fix the system and to call out the injustice and to stop participating in the injustice. He did all those things. But he also sacrificed his own fairly earned resources. He gave up his own comfort and wealth and provision to help those who couldn't buy food. Let me read it to you here in verse 14. 
It says, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. This was his fair earning, his food, his wine, his allotment. And he didn't take it. He didn't take it. He gave it to the people. He went beyond just writing the injustice, just stopping to participating in the injustice. He went beyond that to, to sacrifice, sacrificing his own comfort sacrificing his own things that belong to him because he was choosing to be part of the solution in a way that was costly because that's what mercy and grace and equality and justice and freedom looked like to him, right? So he prayed and he pondered, he spoke and he led, and he sacrificed because of this injustice. And that's the way of the contemplative revolutionary and that's the way of Jesus. So, what can we do with our hands? What can we do with our hands? Here's my prayer. My prayer is that our hands will hurt. That our hands will hurt. That we will feel the pain of the injustice that we see in such a way that we are compelled to act out of compassion, not obligation. And then my prayer is that our hands will help. That we will point the way to justice. That we will heal. That we will serve the least and the last and the lost. That we will bring healing to the broken. May our hands hurt. May our hands help. And then my prayer is that our hands will let go. Let go, right? Maybe, maybe we'll let go of our comfort or our stockpiled resources, or our Americanized ideals about what we think we deserve. Maybe we'll let go of our pride. Maybe we'll let go of our fear. Maybe we'll let go of controlling the outcomes of how we participate in this restoration work. And maybe our hands can let go. Because when we do, we're filled with the Spirit of Christ in us. So if you haven't used your hands today to write some words on your paper, I would encourage you to do that. And if you, if you have more to fill out, take it with you. Think about it. Ponder it. But the last question on your paper is about how Element can participate in Shalom as a community. And we would really love to hear your thoughts on that. Element has a lot of things that we do together. You guys know what those things are. And we, we give a lot for this tiny little community. We do. We absolutely do. But we don't want to overlook something that might be on your heart in a way that's really compelling to you. So we would love to hear your thoughts on what it could look like for us to engage in a new way, right? 
And I'm also going to tell you that next week is going to be a more specific invitation to some new things here. We've invited Zach Elliott, who is the author of Now I See and the leader of V3 Ministries here in Tampa. And V3's focus this year is on the human trafficking situation, especially leading up to the Super Bowl being in our city. The human trafficking situation is, gets exponentially worse when a Super Bowl comes to a city. And so he's going to come share with us more about the issue, more about the problem. Because if we don't see it, if we don't know what's going on, there's, we're not going to be compelled out of compassion. We need to know. We need to see. So he's going to come share with us and then tell us some ways that Element can be a part of that initiative this year. But we're open to other ideas, and so that's why that's on that paper. So here's the options for the, your paper. You can keep it, the whole thing, for yourself and deal with it between you and the Lord, however you'd like. You can tear it at that dotted line and give back just the element piece to Pastor Benjamin or myself or one of your house church leaders. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Or if you want someone to walk with you, if this injustice conversation for you is really stirring something and you want someone to walk with you and keep you accountable to some of the things you've written, you can bring the whole paper to us and we'd be more than happy to help you with that. So the band can come up. We're going to sing one last song. And the song we're going to sing is called All the Poor and Powerless. It's a, we've been singing it here for a long time. But this song is a holy cry for justice and shalom. And it's written based on a psalm. So today, instead of praying, I'm going to read this psalm for us. Because this cry in this psalm and in this song is the cry of our hearts in this work, right? These words are the vision of wholeness that Jesus came to bring. So here's what it says in Psalm 22. Here's the story I'll tell my friends when they come to worship. And I'll punctuate it with hallelujahs. Shout hallelujah, you God worshipers. Give glory, you sons of Jacob. Adore him, you daughters of Israel. He has never let you down. Never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He has been right there listening. Here, in this great gathering for worship, I have discovered this praise life. And I'll do what I promised right here in front of the God worshipers. Down and outers sit at God's table and eat their fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here, praising him. Live it up from head to toe. Don't ever quit. From the four corners of the earth, people are coming back to their senses, running back to God. Long lost families are falling on their faces before him. God has taken charge. From now on, he has the last word. All the power mongers are before him, worshiping. All the poor and powerless too, worshiping. Along with those who never got it together, worshiping. Our children and their children will get in on this as the word is passed along from parent to child. Babies not yet conceived will hear the good news that God does what he does.